Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapters five through seven. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. So Catechism 377 says, the mastery over the world that God offered man from the beginning was realized above all with man himself, mastery of self. So that first Adam, remember, didn't have this. Now listen closely, self-mastery is a long and exacting work. That should give us comfort. Okay, and a comfort for our kids. Catechism 2342, self-mastery is a long and exacting work. No one, one, one can never consider it acquired once for all. It presupposes renewed effort at all stages of life. You might think you got something mastered and boom, you fall again and you got to begin again. The effort required can be more intense in certain periods of life. So if you're struggling with lust, for instance, a 21-year-old male may uh, versus an 89 year old male there could be a difference you know chastity includes an apprenticeship in self-mastery which is a training in human freedom the alternative is clear either man governs his passions and finds peace or he lets himself be dominated by his passions and he becomes unhappy this self-mastery is for our happiness God only wants our happiness, our eternal beatitude. So Catechism 2339 says that man gains such dignity when ridding himself of all slavery to the passions, he presses forward to his goal by freely choosing what is good and by his diligence and skill effectively secures for himself the means suited to his end. So it is a process of perfection to master our sin. You know, the seven deadlies. We're all alive we're trying to master those and don't let up on it. Man participates in the wisdom and goodness of the creator who gives him mastery over his acts and the ability to govern himself with a view to the true and the good. That's a gift from God. He gives us mastery if we want it. Now, we have quite a few parents with gay children or some with great gay grandchildren or great fa gay family members, and it's super, super, super hard, these chapters, sometimes for them especially. There are seven deadly sins, but sometimes this one um, is hard. And if you have a, a family member, what you really need to do is stay in relationship and stay in love. But listen to the hope of this Catechism 2359. Homosexual persons are called to chastity by the virtue of self-mastery, just like all the rest of us with all our other sins. That teach uh, the self-mastery that teaches them inner freedom at times by the support of disinterested friendship by prayer and sacramental grace they can and should gradually and resolutely approach christian perfection praise god that's how god that's what god wants they can and should gradually and resolutely approach christian perfection he will provide the grace needed. The parents, us, we need to be patient for our kids and our hopes and dreams for them. We want them in heaven for all eternity and all of us have someone in our life that we're praying for, for a number of those seven deadlies, right? We all have somebody that we really love and that we're really, 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 really praying for. So we as parents have to be patient, we have to pray and we ourselves have to live a life of holiness as a model, as an exemplary. Three things the Bible says you can do is pray, 
fast. Fasting is very powerful. And almsgiving, those three all together are a trifecta all through the scriptures. And we have to trust God. Way back to the garden, we have to trust God and we have to trust his word and we have to trust the church's teaching. Even if we don't understand it, even if we think it's outdated, even when we think it's old, even when the world is telling us something totally different, God's asking us to be patient and trust his word. And you may not see it in your lifetime. You may not see your loved one change in your lifetime, but that's why we want to live holy lives. We don't want to cave into, we don't want to embrace non-truth. We must stay firmly rooted in God's word because he will not lie. And we can 100% trust his word. And we need to make it to the throne room of God as quickly as we can when we die. We want to live a holy life. We don't want to spend a lot of time in purgatory. Why? Because we want to make it to the throne room of heaven where we can have our bowls as incense. They go up right before the Lord's nose. In Revelation, we're told that, that when we get there, we'll each have a golden bowl full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. If you made it there, you're a saint. That's a little S saint. If you made it to heaven, you're a saint, and you'll have a bowl of incense right in the throne room of the Lord. It's your prayers going up right before him. We can be praying for our kids in the throne room of heaven. It's not over yet, guys. When we die, you might not see it in your lifetime. When I was ill, when I had cancer, I was crying and I said, oh, my kids, I don't know what they're going to do without me. And my friend Peter Herbeck said to me, oh my gosh, you, you might be a way better mom in the throne room of heaven than you'll ever be here on earth. And he was totally right. It's not over till it's over. So whatever they're struggling with, we got all eternity up. We can be praying in the throne room of heaven. So it also, chastity means the integration of sexuality within the person, and it includes an apprenticeship in self-mastery. So I thought, what's an apprenticeship in self-mastery? I want, I, want, I want apprenticeship. I looked it up. It's a system of training a new generation of practitioners, a trade or profession. It's kind of an on-the-job training, right? An accompanying study. So Jesus, we know, had perfect self-mastery. He never sinned. He was perfectly obedient to the Father in every way, no original sin. But other skills he had to grow in an apprenticeship. And I was thinking of he and Joseph in the carpentry shop. Now, I'm kind of um, thinking of a spiritual apprenticeship in my mind for us, but I'm using physical pictures, okay, for Jesus, so don't get confused. But when he was a little baby, like two years old, and Joseph is trying to show him, he's working with him in the shop. Then maybe he's four years old, and he learns a few new skills. You know, he's an apprentice. Then he studies, and, and, and he learns, and he makes some things, and he fails, and the, the leg falls off the chair, but then he puts it back. You know, you learn by trial and error. And then as we progress in the spiritual life, we grow in virtues, and we advance in the spiritual life. So we can't be too hard on ourselves in our younger years, you know? We're growing. We're being perfected in self-mastery. We learn in an apprenticeship of self-mastery, the catechism says. So we need patience for us and for our kids. And while our kids are mastering their own needed virtues, we need to master the virtue of patience as we wait. And we wait on the Lord and we trust him. And sometimes it seems like it's a snail's pace. Come on, Lord. But slow and steady wins the race. So keep persevering in prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. There are four eyes, the preternatural gifts that we had before the fall. One was impassibility. That means freedom from pain. There was no pain before the fall. Wouldn't that be nice? Immortality, 
freedom from death, there was no death. Integrity, we had freedom from concupiscence or disordered desires, the passions, unbridled passions, we didn't know that. And infused knowledge, we had infused knowledge, freedom from ignorance in matters essential for eternal beatitude. So infused knowledge is not talked about very much, but freedom from ignorance in matters of eternal happiness. Jesus had that when he was in the temple teaching to the elders. He was only 12 years old. He had this knowledge that they could not believe. They were astonished the answers he was giving. Remember in Luke 2, Mary also had no original sin. She would have had this infused knowledge at a very young age. She's full of grace. She had infused knowledge knowing that God does not lie. You can 100% trust God's word. She says, let it be done to me according to thy word. She has total trust that God's word is true. It's a hundred percent true. She can count on it for what? Her own eternal beatitude, her own happiness. We can count on God's word a hundred percent for our happiness and our kids' happiness. So don't go away from God's word and say it's old-fashioned or it doesn't apply anymore. Don't do that. They'll be happy in this life, but the next life's a la 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 longer. God wants them happy. He wants their eternal beatitude, and so do we. The preternatural gift of knowledge in choosing to eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve showed rank disregard for the preternatural knowledge that God had blessed them with as a gift. They expressed a preference for their own knowledge, knowledge that they could acquire on their own rather than the knowledge God had given to them. They chose experiential knowledge. They wanted to experience it themselves. We had the inability to suffer, but now we have to suffer. We had immortality, but now we have to die. We had freedom from disordered desires, but now we have concupiscence and sin. We had knowledge of God, creation, and the moral law necessary for happiness, but now our intellects are darkened. We were perfect in God, but now we're not. But life is an apprenticeship, remember, to get back to perfection. Just like Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he shows us the way because fixing our eyes on Jesus, he is the pioneer and what? Perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2. One last catechism, 1734. Progress in virtue, knowledge of the good, and ascesis, enhance the mastery of the will over its acts. What's ascesis? Anyone? Ascesis! I looked it up. It's the practice of severe self-discipline, typically for religious reasons. Sometimes you're asked for religious reasons to do something really, really hard, a type of self-mastery that's really, 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 really hard. One example I can think is seminarians. We take these like 19, 20, 22, 24-year-old males and we put them in the seminary. And I looked up what seminary means in Latin seminarium. It means seed bed. It's from the Council of Trent. And then we ask these young men, they're required to live with celibacy. And that is difficult. Our young seminarians are young apprentices in the virtue of self-mastery. Some will make it through. Others will discern out. They'll say, I can't do it. This isn't for me. I, I want to get married or whatever. But the church asks them to have this incredible self-mastery, this ascesis for religious reasons, and God will give them the grace. Progress in the virtue, knowledge of the good, and ascesis enhance the mastery of the will over the act. So we need to pray for our priests and our seminarians. So since crouching at all of our doors, we have to master it. Did Cain master the sin or... Did Cain let sin master him? Cain said to Abel, let's go to the field. 
They went out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Sin mastered Cain. Cain allowed sin to master him. Yet God is so great in mercy. He put a mark on Cain that no one should kill him because he's so merciful. He banished him further to the east, to the land of Nod. And in the land of Nod, east of Eden, Cain knew his wife. And she conceived and she bore Enoch. And he built a city and the city was named after his son Enoch. And the first question you guys ask me is, where did Cain get a wife? Right? I know you thought of it. Where did Cain get a wife? Because there's something called monogenism that we're asked to believe that all humans descended from one man, Adam. Polygenism, on the flip side, is humans descended from many parents. That is condemned by the church as written by Pope Pius XII. That's 50 years ago, but it's the last thing we have about it, formal document. St. Augustine, way before that, he reasoned that marriage among siblings must have been permitted in the first generation. Now, I want you to remember, this is a fallen world now. This isn't how God intended it. This is a fallen world. There's been a fall from original justice, original grace. They don't live in Eden anymore. They live in a fallen world with Satan on their side. It's not the world God intended for them. And the first sin has been murder. Cain is gone. He's been banished. Abel is dead. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. The Bible tells us that Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. Doesn't tell us if they had other children before Seth, but when Seth was born, Adam was 130. Sometimes in Hebrew genealogies, they skip names, right? Like in Matthew, for instance. He goes 14, 14, 14, Gematria, G, uh, David, David, David. He skips people in the, in the, in the uh, genealogy. How long is a Bible generation? Yes, thank you, 40 years. If Adam is 130 when he generates Seth, there's been three biblical generations. 40, 40, 40 is 120 plus 10. We're on the next one. Adam's children, 40 years. Adam's grandchildren, 80. Adam's great-grandchildren, 120. Adam's great-great-grandchildren, another 10 and forward. Jewish tradition tells us that Adam had 33 sons and 23 daughters. Therefore, many people could have existed at the time when Cain killed Abel. Remember, Adam lived 930 years. They had very long lifespans, and they had slow degenerative effects on the body because they were created perfect. Their gene, their gene pool was perfection. It could have been possible to marry a sister or a niece, like Abraham married his half-sister, Sarah, we'll see in Genesis 20. Moses' father, Amram, married his aunt, Jochebed, his father's sister, Exodus 6.20. But by the time we get to Leviticus, God has very strict rules on sexual relations, especially with incest. None of you shall ever approach someone near of kin to him or uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. And God forbade marriage between the following mother, father, sister, brother, half-brother, wife, uh, brother's wife, aunt, uncle, stepmother, granddaughter, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, it is wickedness, thus saith the Lord. But Cain lived before the law was given. In a fallen world, God is merciful. They never have parental incest because God told them to cling to one another, to leave their father and mother and cling to one another. So mater maternal incest, we're going to see it with Ham next week. That is a huge no-no right off the bat, and he will be cursed. So Cain's kid, Enoch, builds the city of man, okay? They used to live in the city of God when they were in Eden. Now they live in the city of man. The first thing, Lamech takes two wives. That's polygamy. Uh, Ada and Zilha. From A to Z, he has wives. He's a polygamist. Ada 
Boris Jabal, the father of those who dwell in tents and have cattle. So now we have domesticated cattle they can eat. His brothers named Jubal, uh, he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. People skip through these genealogies, but they're very important. Now we've got musical instruments. Zilha had a son. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Now we have weapons. So Lamech says to his wives, I've slain a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. We see in the city of man, violence is increasing. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. That is actually seven times seventy, four hundred and ninety times. And so when Peter comes up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often do I need to forgive my brother who sinned against me? How many times? Seven times? Jesus says, I don't say to you seven times, like Cain, but seventy times seven times. That's how merciful God is. Forgive him 490 times, just like Lamech said in the Old Testament. When we have multiple wives, polygamy, red meat, cattle, entertainment, musical instruments, and weapons, violence, what does that sound like? Where do you go when you want multiple wives, red meat, entertainment, and weapons? (laughs) The city of man, right? the city of man. These are the cities that man builds all over the world. Sin City, the city of man. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Keep it secret. Don't tell anyone. No one needs to know. This is just our dirty little secret. Evil deeds done in the dark, done in the city of man. The world is getting eviler and eviler and eviler. God can hardly take it anymore. But Paul tells us, among you there must not be any kind, any hint of sexual immorality or these kinds of impurity or greed because it's improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place. No immoral, greedy, impure person, idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You were once in darkness, now you are in the light of the Lord, you live as children of the light. So in the city of man, that Cain's people have made. There's a lot of sin going on. Where do you go for sin? Multiple wives, red meat, entertainment, and weapons. People still are going to the city of man all over. The city of man has multiple wives. It's called prostitution. The city of man has red meat. It's called fine dining. The city of man has entertainment, endless entertainment, musical productions, liars and pipes, entertainment to arouse the passions. And the city of man has bronze and iron, weapons of violence. And we just had a shooting in Las Vegas where 58 people lost their life and 422 more were wounded. So the city of man is very different from the city of God and St. Augustine wrote about it. Seth is born now. He's born Adam is in the image and likeness of God. Seth is in the image of Adam. So Seth is also in the image of God. So Cain's people have the city of man or sin city. Adam and his family is trying to do good. They've been dispelled from Eden, but they're going to try to rebuild the city of God outside of Eden. And it's going to uh, develop them to be a liturgical people where they offer sacrifice to the Lord. They call upon the name of the Lord. They play music to the Lord. It's a liturgical people. So there's a difference between the city of man, Cain's city, and the city of God, Seth's city. So now we hear in Genesis 6 that men are beginning to multiply on the face of the earth. Daughters are being born. They're living a long time. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fairer. 
and they took to wife such as them as they chose. So remember, men are dominating over women. They'll choose who they want to be with. They see that, you know, Seth is the son of sons of God. Cain has the daughters of men, and they look pretty darn good over there. The men say, we're going to take them for our wives, and they start intermarrying. The sons of God, Seth's son, saw that the daughters of men, Cain's daughters, were quite fair, and they took to wife such as them as they chose, taking dominion over the women as the fall predicted. We have that's called the Sethite interpretation that the sons of God intermarry. And that's what bothers God. It's not that they come from different regions. God doesn't care about that. God cares if the spouse worships the one true God of Israel, because you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your might. And so you don't want to be unequally yoked with someone who believes in other gods. And so God doesn't care about skin color, but he cares about being equally yoked to the same one true God with your spouse. So they're not doing that. And God says, I've had it. My spirit shall not abide with man forever. He's flesh. He, he's got nine, I'm cutting his years. So God says he's down to 120 now. He's not living 930 years anymore. Boom, 120. Then we hear about the Nephilim on the face of the earth. They were mighty men that were of old, men of renown. Nephilim is a race of giants in the Bible dictionary, said to have dwelt in the pre-Israelite Cana. And in Numbers 13, we hear about them. There we saw them, the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who had come from the, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only continually evil. And the Lord God was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. Because God loves his beloved children. He never wanted it to go this way. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the ground, man and beast and creeping things and birds from the air, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But Noah, one man, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One man on the face of the earth is righteous and good, and holy, and pure. Another translation says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's the same word that's used for Mary in Luke chapter 1. The angel came to Mary and said, Hail Mary, full of grace. You are a highly favored daughter. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and these are the generations of Noah. He was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Do you walk with God? Do you walk with God every day? Do you start the morning out with prayer? First thing, first fruits to the Lord of the day. I'm going to pray with you, Lord. Grab my coffee and sit with you. Noah walked with God and he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was full of violence. God saw the earth. It was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And the God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence. Through them, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Noah, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it to the cubit above. Set the door of the ark on its side. Make it with a lower, a second, and a third deck. Sounds like Royal Caribbean Cruise Line. <laughs> it's going to take them months 
and yours to build this ark. For behold, I will bring a flood upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But Noah, with you, Noah, I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark and your sons and your wife and your son's wife with you. The whole family's going to be saved, eight in all. When I went to Joey's baptism, the baptismal font had eight sides. It's an octagon. Eight in all will be saved through the waters of baptism. And of every living thing, all flesh, bring two of every sort, keep them alive, bring them on, two of every sort, male and female, so they can reproduce. Birds, creeping things, animals, two of every sort, keeping them alive, two by two by two, male and female. Take every sort of food with you that's eaten, store it up, you shall serve it as food for you and for them, the animals. Now, have you guys ever moved yourself? I mean, have you ever moved and you know how much work it is packing and loading and packing and loading and pa They have to pack up entire creation on this ark. And Noah did all that the Lord God commanded him. He is so faithful and so obedient. Now think about this, this crazy old man, evil around him on every side, telling his sons, God has told me, God has told me, we gotta build this ark. This old man with his crazy, crazy ideas. Oh, you old hoot, you silly old man, making your sons work day after day while we party, while we carouse, while we carry on in the city around you. He thinks a flood is on the way. Ha, 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 crazy old Noah to God, the only righteous family left on the face of the earth, surrounded by evil on every side, and Noah doesn't care what people think of him. He doesn't care about the secular society around him. He's going to do what God asked him to do. Jesus said this of Noah, Jesus Christ, but first he, the son of man, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, like Noah was. As in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your household. I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And for seven days, I will send rain upon the earth. For 40 days and 40 nights, I'm going to blot out everything. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. He was 600 years old. Noah, his sons, his wife, his wife's sons, they all went into the ark. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. So the flood started on the eighth day. There's going to be a new creation. It's starting on the eighth day. When Jesus comes out of the tomb, it's the eighth day. It's a new creation. I behold, I make all things new again. And they entered male and female and all flesh went in as God had commanded. And who closed the door? the Lord God himself. And when the time comes for him to close the door, when the second time coming of Christ comes, you know, when Jesus, this is real short, when Jesus, um, the bride, the, the 10 virgins, five have oil, five don't, and the others have to go back into the city. And, and then the bridegroom comes and they go in and he closes the door and the girls come back and they're knocking on the door. They say, listen, listen, oh, wait, we're back now, you know? And, and he's like, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. When the door closes, the door closes and it's time for judgment. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this glorious account of the flood. We thank you that you saved through the waters of baptism. We thank you that we're safe inside the ark of the church with all the sacraments we need. Help us to stay in that ark. We pray for those who have left the ark, Lord, our children, grandchildren, loved ones that have, that have gone off on a lifeboat, on a, on a small raft, 
that aren't in the ark. And we pray that they come back. We love you, Jesus. We pray for that mastery. We thank you that it's an apprenticeship. We thank you that, that, that you give us time. Thank you for the time, Lord God. And please help us come to know you before the door is shut. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters five through seven, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.